It's so good to see each one of you here today. I know you're here today because you love Jesus. Amen. You're glad to be in this house and to be worshiping him, to be a part of his family. Isn't, isn't his presence sweet today? The presence of the Lord. Isn't it sweet? Yes, it is. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 28, and I hope that you do have your Bibles. I think it's a good thing to bring your Bibles to church. Amen. That's something the pastor used to say when I was a kid, and you know, they say what, what goes around comes around, so uh, I know we have these phones, we can look up the Bible on there, but I'm kind of an old school guy, so you can use your phone. Hey, there's no condemnation here for those who are in Christ Jesus, but seriously, bring your Bible to church, amen. Um, Matthew 28, we're, we're in a series right now on on the church and Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so over the last few weeks, here now we're into the fifth week of this series and at the beginning of the series, I thought it was gonna be about six weeks and I was looking at the outline this morning and I realized that we're not even through week two yet. Uh, so I don't know how long this will be or how long this will take. Uh, but what we saw in the first week was that whatever uh, ideas we have about the church, and we all have lots of ideas, we need to make sure that those ideas, that, that they don't come from tradition and that they don't come from only past experience, but that they come from the Word of God. Amen. That it is the Word of God that tells us what the church is, what we're supposed to be doing in the church, and that it, it, it begins and that it ends with the word of God, that, that God's word is, is the highest authority in the church and in our lives. The, the second week, we, we looked at the word church, and we looked at the Greek word behind the word church, and it's this Greek word here, and how many of you have learned how to pronounce it by now? Ekklesia, right? You can't read it, but you can pronounce it, ekklesia. And we learned that this word that's translated as church has nothing to do with a building, but has everything to do with a people, the people of God, a gathering of God's people, an assembly that, that comes together, called out of their homes. And so the church, again, is, is not a building. The church is not just a, a hierarchy of, of leadership, but the church is actually the people of God who gather in his name. We are the church. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, you're a good looking church today. We are the church, the gathering. And in Matthew 18, we saw this great promise that when we gather in his name, the name of Christ, his, his, he promises that his presence will be there with us. And so when we, that, that changes some things, that changes some dynamics. This, this isn't like the, the PTA meeting. This isn't like, you know, the, uh, the board meeting for your business. This is not like your staff meeting at work. This is not like the, the huddle that you do uh, before you, you get to work in the morning where, where you, the place that you work. This is different. Why? Because the presence of God is here in a unique way, in a special way that's, that's different from just the presence of God that we carry with us everywhere we go. And you'll remember, of course, in that second week, I said, if we're going to meet with God, yeah. 
It changes the way we think about coming to church. Amen. That we should be on time if we're going to come meet with God, right? And I thank the Lord that since I chastised you with that, you've been on time since then. And I've had, I've had more people explain to me why they were late to church over the last two weeks uh, than ever in the last seven years. It's been amazing. In week three, we saw what is it that makes a church a church? Who, who are these people that gather? And, and we looked at Peter's great confession where Jesus says, who am I? Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock, the rock of Peter's confession, he would build his church. And so it is those who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is us who gather in his name. We come together upon that great rock of that truth, that truth that cannot be shaken, that Jesus is the Son of God. And when we come together, we looked at Acts 2.42, the things that bind a church together, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. And so when we gather in Jesus' name, what makes a church a church is that we, we center ourselves around the Word of God that we partake in communion and, and celebrate baptism together, that we pray with one another, that we worship Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And where those things are happening, a group of believers is being knit together as a church family. When we come together, whether you're on the front row or the back row, and we worship Jesus together, the Lord is binding our hearts together in a way that is special, a way that is supernatural, a way that is somewhat mysterious. And so we are the church. And so the, not last week, last week was Mother's Day, but the, the week before we looked at this passage from Matthew 28, looking at what the purpose and the mission of the church is. And we said that whatever the mission of the church would be, it's not... The, it's, it's Jesus' church. It belongs to him. He is building his church. And so it, it, it's not the leadership of the church, the, the human leaders. It's not the elders and the deacons that get together and say, well, I think this is what the church ought to be about. That because Jesus is the head of the church, because the church belongs to Jesus, he's the one who gets to set the mission of the church. He's the one that sets the direction. He's the one that tells us what we ought to be doing and how we ought to be doing it. And so Matthew 28, let's go back there. We were working our way through that passage and the preacher got inspired and long-winded so he didn't finish his, his message. And so we're going to, I was going to say we're going to finish this passage, but I'll say this, we'll see how far we'll get this morning. So Matthew 28, you'll remember that the, 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 this chapter opens with the greatest event in all of human history when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the ladies went to, to visit Jesus in the tomb. And when they got there, the tomb was empty. And what they found was an angel who proclaimed to them this great truth. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here. Because he has risen. 
And Jesus met them along the way and said, go into Galilee and I will meet you there in Galilee. Gather my disciples. And that's where we pick up the story here. Jesus, risen from the dead, appearing to his disciples. Verse 16, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. After Jesus said this, he ascended up into heaven. We looked last week at at Daniel chapter 9, where it says that Jesus is, is seated at the right hand of the Ancient of Days, seated on high. And we, we began to look at what these, these alls, these four all statements that Jesus made here in this passage. This, this, this statement that Jesus make, makes is so all-encompassing. It transcends nations, it transcends time, it transcends space. This passage is the mission of the church. And so this is what we as God's people are to be doing in the world as we are a part of his church. And so from this we see that the mission of the church is to bring the nations of the world into submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the mission of the church. To bring the nations into submission to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And it's our job to to call people into submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we we think of this passage as, as a missionary passage because it has to do with the nations of the world. But I want you to know that this is not only a missionary passage. This is a passage for the whole church. How many of you know that the nation we live in needs to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This isn't just for Mexico and Japan and China and Zimbabwe. This is for the United States of America. Jesus said, all nations. But first he said, all authority, all authority has been given to me. Think about this. Jesus didn't say all authority will be given to me someday in the future when I return. That's not what Jesus said, is it? Jesus didn't say, well, after I rapture everybody away in the tribulation and and we all come back, then I'll have all authority in the world. Is that what Jesus said? No, he said, all authority 
has been given unto me. That means that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth right now. Right now. Not, not just at some point in, in some undetermined, undisclosed future time that we have no idea when that would be. Whether that would be five years from now, five minutes from now, or 5,000 years from now. We don't know when Christ will return. But what we do know is that he says that he has all authority now. Now, right now, has been given to me. We, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read it again because it, it elaborates on this issue of all authority. All authority. Ephesians chapter 1. It says, remember Paul prayed. He said, I, I pray for you Ephesians, though you are saved and Christians, though you've been born again by the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit of God. I pray that your understanding would be illuminated, that, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that God would give you a revelation of what? Of the power of Christ. When God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Listen, God put Jesus above all things, raised him from the dead, seated at his right hand, now ruling and reigning over the nations, over every kingdom, over every people, over every tribe, over every government, even over your boss, the Lord reigns, over every name that will ever be named. And then he, God the Father, gave Jesus to the church. Jesus is ours. Amen. He is our king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our king and he is our Lord. He is our savior. Amen. He gave the one who has all to us. And he has put everything under his feet. And Paul says, I pray that you would have your eyes open to this reality that we are now seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 33 times in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we are as Christians in Christ. Seated in Christ, forgiven in Christ, blessed in Christ, redeemed in Christ, restored in Christ that we have this union with Christ so that we have every spiritual blessing now, yeah. now. And God's plan for his church is that we would walk in this victory now, now. Too many people have this vision of the church that we just walk in defeat 
persecuted by the world, the world and the world's systems and the world's governments winning all the time and humanism defeating the church and secularism and immorality sweeping the nations and we're just being pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Listen, the only way that works is if you don't have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Secularism will not win. Humanism will not win. Postmodernism, we can't even know what truth is. It will not win. Jesus has won. That is the past tense. Through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus Christ defeated Satan and put him under his feet and has given Christ to the church. Why? So that we would walk through life defeated? No, that we would walk in victory. Jesus is not returning for a failed church. Jesus is not returning for a beaten up, broken down, beleaguered? Is beleaguered a word? Look, I don't even know what that means. Look it up. I'll look it up. But church that, that, that is failing, that is compromising in sin, that the world is dominating the church, that's not the church that Jesus is returning for. It says Jesus will return for a glorious church, a victorious church, without spot and wrinkle. That, that means for me that things are going to get better than they are now. So I think the church ought to have a, an optimistic view of the future. Not, not just an optimistic view of the future for eternity, but an optimistic view of the future for next week, for next year, for the next four years, for the next 10 years. Why? Because I expect the church to move forward in victory. Amen. That was two weeks ago's sermon. <laughs> Past tense. This is a present reality. Jesus is the king of the nations now. Let me show you how this works. God created Adam in the garden. Adam and Eve, he created them, humanity. He created him, Adam and Eve, in the image of God. And to, to Adam, he said, I'm giving you dominion over everything, over all of creation. Go and subdue the world, basically. Go, go and, and, and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. And it was Adam's job to be the image bearer of God, Adam and Eve, to bear God's image. What does that mean? That means to reflect God to creation to exercise dominion, to be God's representative on the earth. That's what dominion means. To follow God, to submit to God, to fill the earth with people who follow God, love God, serve God, follow God's commandments, his, his laws, which are good and beautiful and perfect. And that the earth would be filled with, a, a peop, with people who love and serve and have a relationship with God. Well, we know that Adam and Eve didn't quite live up to what God had created them for, didn't they? They, they failed in their assignment. 
Instead of following God, instead of following the Creator, instead of living according under His rule, the serpent came, Satan came, he deceived Eve, and, and, and Adam entered into sin with her. And he told Eve, you, you don't have to follow God's law. God's trying to keep good things from you. God knows if you disobey him, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God yourself. Listen, don't follow God's law. Make up your own law. Do what seems right to you. Follow your heart is the way it's been rebranded in our current culture. Follow your heart. Listen, if you're following your heart, you're not following God. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful and wicked. Why? Because sin has entered into the heart of mankind. So instead of following God, humanity decided, they, you know what, I think this snake is a really good theologian. We're going to follow him. And so they followed Satan. And, and when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they fell under the dominion now of Satan. They took their dominion and they gave it to Satan. And so when Satan comes and tempts Jesus in Luke chapter 4, tempts Jesus to, to sin. Remember, Jesus was baptized, and, and when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and, and God the Father spoke from heaven. There we see the triune God perfectly on display. God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It says, immediately from there, the Holy Spirit that had fallen upon Jesus led Jesus out into the wilderness for the devil to tempt him. And Satan comes and tempts Jesus. And listen to what Satan says to Jesus. He says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now we know from studying the gospels that, that Jesus has miraculous powers. He is the son of God. Jesus can walk on water. Jesus can raise the dead. Jesus can open blind eyes. Jesus can, can open deaf ears. Jesus can multiply a little boy's lunch to feed the multitudes. We know that Jesus, if, if, if he's hungry, he can, he, can, he can take care of the food situation. So why is it a temptation for Jesus to turn stones into bread? We know he's hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. The Bible tells us he was hungry. The temptation is not turning stones into bread. The temptation was that Satan had challenged the word of God. God's word, the Father had said, you are my beloved son. And Satan comes and says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And so Jesus turning the stones into bread, it, it wouldn't have been the, the, that miracle that it would have been the sin. It would have been that Jesus was doubting the word of God, the very same thing that Eve did in the garden. And then Jesus, uh, Satan takes Jesus up on a, on a, a precipice and, and he shows him, Satan shows Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of these kingdoms. I will make you what? The king of kings. I'll make you the Lord of lords if you just bow down and worship me. And he says this, he says, I will deliver them over to you. And I have the authority to do that because they have been delivered over to me. Well, well who delivered the nations over to Satan? Well, Adam did in the garden. 
when he who had all dominion over the whole earth fell under the power of Satan. And what Satan is offering Jesus is he's tempting Jesus with skipping the cross. Because it is through his death and resurrection that Jesus defeated Satan and took the keys of the kingdoms of the world back from Satan. But Satan is saying, look, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer and die. You don't have to go through all that pain. You don't have to, to have the sin of the world laid upon you. You don't have to experience that. Just bow down and worship me. It's good over here. We've got it easy over here in, in, in my path. Listen, that's just the way of Satan. He, he, he promises you everything. He delivers you nothing. He makes it look so good and so easy and so tempting. And, and sometimes living for God, it, it feels hard. And, and you're, we're going against the grain of the culture. And, and we're swimming upstream constantly. And we're constantly bombarded through culture, entertainment, the news, all kinds of things that don't align with the word of God. And we're constantly in, in battle and spiritual warfare. And Satan is just saying, look, if you just lay that down, lay down your sword, lay down the word of God, just go with the flow, follow what's in your heart. Man, things will be a lot better for you. Things will go a lot easier for you at work, in your family. It'll be better. It's the same temptation that he used on Adam and Eve. It's the same temptation he used on Jesus. But Jesus said, he said, it is written, man shall worship God only and only him shall he serve. And we do not follow Adam because we are in Christ. We follow Christ. And so when Satan tempts us, we do what Adam should have done, and we do what Jesus did do, we say, it is written. It is written. This is what the word of God says. So how is it that Jesus can say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? Well, he can say that because through his cross and resurrection, he took back what Adam lost. He took back dominion. And so now, today, presently, at this moment, 2021, May the 16th, Jesus Christ reigns over the nations. Amen. And it is our job to go and tell the nations that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our job to go and to proclaim the good news that the, the, the dominion of Satan has been destroyed, that you do not have to live in bondage to sin, in bondage to fear, in bondage to doubt, in the bondage of Satan. You can be set free and walk in the liberty and the freedom and the light and the love and the truth of the one true living God. Jesus Christ is King. He is Lord. All authority in heaven has been given unto him. And so he says, therefore, go with, with this revelation, with this understanding, with, with this reality in our hearts that Jesus is above every other authority. Including, including myself. That, that's an important one. 
that, that I submit to him. That I don't just call other people to submit to Christ, but that I myself am walking in submission to the Lord Jesus. Amen. So we, we go following, obeying the one who has all authority, the one who has defeated even death, risen from the dead, commissioning his church to go into now all the world, to go into every nation, make disciples of all the nations. Well, what does that look like? I don't know. What does it look like? Think about it. Think, what would that look like today? What would, it think, what would it look like today if all the nations bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? Would, would that not be the, the would not that, not that be heaven on earth? Would, would that not be let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Isn't that what we pray for every day? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All the nations of the world, not, not a single nation is left out of God's plan of redemption. He purchased all the nations. Isaiah chapter 9, if you have your Bible, flip back to Isaiah chapter 9. That is in the Old Testament. The word testament is just another word for covenant. This was in the time of the Old Covenant. We now live in the New Testament era, the New Covenant. How many of you are thankful for the New Covenant we're a part of through Jesus? Isaiah 9, we know this is a Christmas passage. We're having a Christmas here in May. Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For the sake of time this morning, I'm going to skip down to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, the government, the government, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here is a great prophecy about the, the, the Messiah coming into the world. Jesus coming into the world. The, those who walked in darkness have, have seen a great light. The, 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 unto us a, a son has been given. Unto us a child is born. These words in Isaiah aren't just written so that we can have nice pretty Christmas cards. They weren't just written so Hallmark could do well in December. 
I'm thankful for Christmas cards. They're wonderful and beautiful. But let me tell you, there's something more going on here than just some ooey-gooey, warm feelings at Christmas time. Look at what this is talking about. That there is going to be a son that comes into the world. That he is going to bring light into the world's darkness. And the governments of the world will be upon his shoulder. He will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. When? When? From this time forth and forevermore. And that his zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, will accomplish this. What this means is that from the time that Jesus came into the world, brought from heaven to earth the kingdom of God and established it upon the earth, that his government, his kingdom is growing and growing and growing and growing and will not stop growing until the glory of the Lord fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. All the nations will submit one day to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you flip over to uh, Luke chapter Luke chapter 13, there's a couple parables that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God and what it is like. It helps us understand this concept. I believe that Jesus meant what he said when he said these words in Matthew chapter 18. All authority, all nations, all commandments, I'm with you always. I believe he meant what he said when he said it. Do you believe that? I know the disciples believed it, the first disciples. Look what they did in their generation. In the book of Acts, they're accused of being men who turned the world upside down. Listen, God wants again to turn the world upside down. Truly, God wants to turn the world right side up through his church. It it was people of the world who accused the church of turning the world upside down. You see, the world is already upside down. But through the church, God is turning the world right side up again. Amen. Luke 13, verse 18 Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? Okay, we're expanding the kingdom. We're calling the nations into submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Expanding the kingdom of God. Well, what is it like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree And the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is something that is so small. It starts off as as just the tiniest little seed that gets planted. And it grows 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 until it's this huge tree. And you compare the huge tree to the little tiny mustard seed and you say, this tree came out of that seed? He says the kingdom of God is like that. 
He goes on to say, again, what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So the kingdom of God is something here from Isaiah. It, it starts when Jesus comes into the earth and it never stops growing until it fills the whole earth. It's that little piece of leaven. Ladies who, who, or I guess men, you can make bread too. We live in 2021. If you've, made, if you've ever made bread before, you, you have to put in leaven, right? And how much leaven do you put in a loaf of bread? J just a little bit, right? J j I mean, a tiny, tiny little pinch. And once you put that leaven in that bread, you can never take it out. You, you can't go and begin to extract the leaven. And, and just like that, the kingdom of God 2,000 years ago was planted in the earth. And through the church, the kingdom is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And we, the church, we will fill the earth one day. That is the truth. This is what Jesus commissioned us to do. Now, will, will there be setbacks? Sure. Will we encounter persecution? No doubt about it. But we do so knowing all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to my master. These people, they're serving another master. We're, we're calling them into submission to the king of kings and lord of lords. They may be persecuting me right now, but one day they're going to stand before him. That's like, kind of like when Heather tells the kids... Wait till your dad gets home. Were, were you ever told that as a kid? I was told that a lot as a kid. You, you might be mistreating me now, child. Wait till your dad gets home. And, and, and we take the, the message of the gospel, the goodness of God, the, the freedom we have in Christ, the, the faith that we can, the, the, the forgiveness of sins that we can have through faith in Jesus. We preach that message. There will be those that receive it and those that oppose it. Those that oppose it will one day stand before him whose eyes are like flaming fire. So whatever they do to us, hey, look at what they did to him. But we have a reward that cannot be taken away from us. They believe this message in the book of Acts. They got the message. They got busy. They went into the world calling the nations to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They preached not only all authority, they preached not only to all nations, but they also preached, number three, all the commandments of God. Jesus said, preach all that I have commanded you. There's many today who, in, even in the church, who want to edit what God's word says. Who, who want to pick and choose and we'll, we'll, we'll take all of the love parts but we'll leave out the holiness of God, the justice of God, the, the call to cr crucify yourself and, and to take up your cross and walk with Jesus. We'll leave all of that stuff out. But we'll just talk about how God is love and it's just one big happy hippie party here on Sunday mornings. And you ought to visit some of these churches in Colorado. I, you, I'm not joking about a happy hippie party in church. Listen. No, no, no. no. It's grace and truth. It's, it's God's love and God's justice. Amen. 
It's holiness and righteousness. Also, teaching all that Jesus commanded. We're not ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And so at Destiny Church, the elders here, the leadership here, we're committed to teaching the whole counsel of God's word. Not, not just the parts that make us feel good. Not just the parts that, you know, build our self-esteem. Listen, you don't have a self-esteem problem. You have a self-problem. You, you need to submit yourself to Jesus Christ. That's your problem. Wherever there's a problem in your life, it's because you're, you're not walking according to God's ways and according to God's laws. You don't need to be built up in yourself. You need to take up your cross. Jesus says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. You go to a lot of churches today and they're telling you how to build yourself up. Huh? What? No, no, it's... You're right, self-help. They're teaching self-help. Well, the Bible says we can't help ourselves. That's why God the Son, the second person of the Godhead, came from heaven to earth. Because we couldn't help ourselves. He had to come all the way down here and help us. To seek and to save the lost. We walk according to His word and according to His commandments. Thank you. Amen. Teaching them to obey, observe all that I have commanded you. Of course, Jesus summarized this in, in the great summary of the commandments to love God with all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the commandments. This is what we're pursuing. This is what we're calling the nations into obedience to. To love God, to serve God, to submit to God. His law, His rule, His reign. To love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, number four, I am with you always. I am with you always. The question is, do we believe this? Do we believe this? Do we believe what Jesus said? Does he expect us to do this? Think about it. it was, again, it's been said that this was not the great suggestion. This is the great commission. This is not an optional kind of thing. This isn't, you know, Christianity is not golden corral. You don't just take the stuff you like and leave all the green stuff behind. You know, it's not, you don't just take all the brown stuff, all the meat, all the gravy. And, no, no. When Jesus saves you, he owns you. You are his. You've been bought with a price. I don't know if they told you that at the Billy Graham crusade. <laughs> I don't know if they told you that when you got saved. You don't just come and have your sins forgiven to just walk back out into the world and live, any old, and live like the world. That's, that's not how this works. 
No, Paul says, how can we, who have been set free of sin, continue in it? We've been set free to follow Christ. And we'll talk about this more, all the commandments. We'll talk about this more as I pick up this again next week. Because it's really important that we, we flesh out what, what that looks like. To follow Christ, to follow after him, to, to obey him. Again, do we believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth? Do we believe that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? If you believe that, you have an optimistic view of the future. Too many Christians have been walking in depression since last November because they hitched their wagon to a politician. Our wagon's supposed to be hitched to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's not about who sits in the White House. It's who sits on the throne in heaven. And that is Jesus. Do I want the laws of our land to reflect the righteous law of God? Absolutely I do. Unequivocally I do. But whether our nation's laws reflect God's law or not, guess what? I'm obeying God's law. Just like the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. And they were happy to say that to the people who were about to beat them up because they knew who was seated on the throne. They knew they served the one who defeated death and no matter what happened to them in this life, Jesus promised to raise them up with him on that last day. And that same promise goes to all who believe in him. And so we may face trials, we may face tribulations in the short term, but I believe in the long run, the church will be victorious. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that the church will rise. I believe that the church will call the nations into the obedience of Jesus Christ. I don't believe the bride of Christ will fail in its mission. Jesus is not coming back for a church that failed. Jesus isn't coming back for a church that couldn't quite get the job done. Jesus has given us his power and his spirit and his authority. And there is coming a day when people will figure that out and will walk that out and the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. I believe that with all my heart. And so we work now where we are now calling everyone, including ourselves, including our family, to walk in faithful obedience to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Whatever may come my way, Jesus is going to be victorious. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen. Amen. Christians are retreating from everything right now. They're pulling out of everything. They've pulled out of the universities. They've pulled out of the school systems. 
They've pulled out of everything. Because they're, they're, they, they've been taught, we've been sold this. this I'm, I'm wrapping this up, I promise you, I'm wrapping this up. We, we've, for, for 50 years, 60 years, we've been, 70 years, we've been sold this lie that, that you can somehow, uh, you, you have to engage, when you engage in the public space, in the public sphere, you have to check your faith at the door. That your faith is a private thing. And so when you go to work, you, you, you keep your faith private. You, 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 when, you, when you go into the school system, when you do this, when you do that, well, well and, and, and this, this, this is uh, something that, again, all, so many politicians say this, and, and it is a lie that they're constantly selling to every Christian. They'll, they'll claim to be Christians, but they'll say, I can't let my personal faith influence my public policy. What? What? It's, that's a lie. That's a lie. Your, your personal faith, faith must influence everything you do because Jesus Christ is Lord. So don't follow the advice, don't follow the doctrine of these charlatans in Washington, D.C. that say, well, I, I am a Christian, but I have to check my faith at the door with my public policy. It is a lie. Either you're a Christian and you follow Christ, or you're not. Either you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, or you don't. And too many Christians have bought into this same idea. And so we, wherever we go, yes, we're like undercover Christians. And we bought in the idea that I have to check my faith at the door. I, I can't impose my faith on anybody. There was a, and again, I'm wrapping this up. I'm wrapping this up. There was an interview uh, I saw recently of a, of a president. I'm not going to tell you which president it was because you'll either like what he says or you won't like what he says simply based on who his name is. But this president, and this was a president from several years ago. It's not the current president. He said, he was talking about his Christian faith and, you know, every president we've ever had has claimed to be a Christian, I don't know if you know that. So he was talking about his Christian faith, and he said, you know, it's, it's important to me. It's very personal to me. But we have to be very careful with our personal faith that we don't become religious fanatics, that we don't become religious ideologues, that we're not fundamentalists. We're, we're not these, these crazy zealots. And so he's saying all of this, and, and then he defined those terms. He, he, he defined what a religious zealot, fundamentalist, fanatic, you know, one of these wingnut religious people were. He said, well, we're not like those people who are always trying to evangelize other people and, and tell, you know, telling people that, that Jesus is the only way, that, 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 what, what, that my faith is, is I have to some, I'm somehow imposing that on other people. Listen, I'm sorry. Jesus said, go and impose the truth on the nations of the world. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and proclaim my lordship, my kingdom to the nations. Call them into obedience. That's evangelism. And to the secular, unbelieving world, even those who call themselves Christians, we are religious nuts because we actually believe what Jesus said. We are nuts to them. You need to know that. We're crazy to them. What we're doing right now, they look at, they say, it's nuts. 
And we say, come and join the party. Come and bow the knee. Because we know, Philippians chapter 2, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will happen. It's better to bow the knee in submission than to be forced to bow the knee. You read about that in the book of Revelations. Those who harden themselves against God. But God wins. God always wins. We, we can't walk around with this idea. Uproot this idea from your heart. Purge it from your mind. Delete it from your files. Empty the recycle bin. Listen, we don't divorce our, we don't separate our faith. Our faith is not separate from how we live our lives. Wherever we go, we carry the kingdom of God. Wherever we go, we follow Jesus. Wherever we go, we tell people about Jesus. He is not a way. He is the way. He, he does not just have some authority. He has all authority. This is objective, substantial, absolute truth. It does exist. He is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. The ideas that are being floated around in our society right now, they do not win. The ideas that you can't know what's real, that you can't know what's true, that there isn't such a thing as truth, that idea is going to fall and crumble. I don't know how big the fall is going to be. I don't know what all it's going to take out when it falls. But when it does, the church of Jesus Christ will be there to stand up and to say, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. Amen. We're just ahead of the curve. We're just ahead of the curve. This, there's this stupid, stupid saying that people say right now. They try to use it to win over to... to the world is constantly trying to get Christians to bow the knee to another God. Constantly. To show your submission to the state, to secularism, to man-made ideas and philosophies. I, I know I'm, I closed my Bible, so I really am wrapping up. But they're trying to get us to bow the knee to anything other than Jesus. I totally forgot what I was going to say, so I guess we can dismiss now. The stupid saying. So they use this. Thank you. They, some people are listening. They use, they use this stupid saying to try to beat Christians into submission to another Lord other than Jesus. And they say this saying, well, it's used to push some sort of, you know, so-called progressive agenda, typically in the realm of sexual perversion, right? They'll say, well, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. The church can't be on the wrong side of history. The church kind of has to get with the times here. You know, you guys are all out there holding on to this book like you really believe God said it. 
And look, the world's changed. The church needs to kind of update, you know, change its policies on some things and kind of get on board with the philosophy that we're espousing now. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Am I the only one that's heard that stupid saying? Let, let me tell you a secret. You're not on the wrong side of history. Christianity, the church of Jesus Christ, we are on the right side of history because all of history is moving towards the day when Jesus Christ and his kingdom will fill the earth and all of the nations of the world will be the nations of our God and of his Christ and we overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony and that we love not our lives even unto death. We are on the right side of history. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truth. It is the truth. Lord, while there are so many people who try to espouse other things, Lord, we know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, that you are working throughout human history, building your kingdom. Lord, you came 2,000 years ago, started so small in a little manger in Bethlehem. And since then, your kingdom has grown and grown and grown because you have defeated Satan. You are reigning in victory. And so, Lord, help us to get on board with expanding your kingdom, Lord, in our own homes, in our own lives, in our own neighborhoods, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, thank you for each one that is here today. I pray that you would bless them and help us to walk in the victory that you purchased for us on Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>